Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Well, before uh, we get started actually with the message today, just an observation that I made um, just this morning through watching some people worship and then hearing the testimonies in the tub as well when it comes to to baptism. Um, It's easy for me sometimes, maybe, I don't know if you can identify with this, it's easy for me sometimes to lose maybe that uh, veracity with which I am gripped by my salvation. And so then to hear a story and and see tears that flow because they know the magnitude and the depth of which um, they have been saved, and then to watch a new Christian worship without fear of who's standing next to them, that spoke to me this morning. So I want that to encourage you as we move forward um, and as we see these pictures of, of baptism and as we walk together the, the Jesus road, may you remember what you have been saved from and then what you have been saved for. And that may, may that be reflected in then how we hold ourselves. That, that just that struck me this morning. So um, we are, as Pastor Dan uh, mentioned, we're in a two-week teaching series called Faithful Instruction. This is a little bit more teaching than the preaching of last week. But over these two weeks, uh, we've been looking to the Scriptures to find encouragement and instruction for those facing the worthy and challenging imperative of discipling their children in, uh, in the Lord. And so um, felt the, just the need over these last months to speak an encouraging word and an instructive word to, to parents, those who are parenting, whether you're um, co-parenting or single parenting or blended family parenting or aunt and uncle parenting, grandparenting, just parenting, whatever it is, um, may you be encouraged by the word. And so last week we read uh, the command of God that we are to love him with all that we are, knowing that he loved us first, by the way, and then we're to instruct our children in the same, to do the same, knowing that he first loved our children as well, Right? And we saw that Jesus upheld that command in Mark 12. He, he, he called back to that, calling it the most important commandment, that, that we are to love God with all of our hearts. And then he added to it the word to love others close behind it. And so in order for us as a people, as believers, to carry out the love of Jesus effectively, the children that we're responsible for, that will make up future generations, they have to know the love of the Father, who he is and what he's done, And then they must be equipped to love him and love others in return of that. The salvation of the world is dependent on it. That is going to require then faithful instruction. If we're to carry out the great commission of going out and teaching and baptizing, then we are going to have to faithfully instruct our own children to carry that same message out. So faithful instruction we learned from last week. We looked at Proverbs 31 um, faithful instruction is the, is the wisdom that we are to continually speak towards our children. It was interesting we looked at that faithful not only described the instruction in that passage, but also was the essence of the instruction. So faithfully teach them faithfulness. Faithful instruction. God has not called you to be perfect in your parenting, but rather faithful in your instruction, unfailing in your willingness to show up day after day, instructing your children in the vital importance of loyalty to our Lord Jesus Christ. And so while the discipleship of our children, as we looked at, is rightly appraised as a large undertaking, 
and can be almost burdensome, it feels that way, know that we are not required nor are we able to carry that out under our own power. Rather, the gospel that we are to impress on our children is the very instrument that gives us the power to do so. Does that make sense? The gospel that we are to impress on our children is the gospel that gives us power to share the gospel effectively with our kids. Because God has given us life, new life. Our weakness then covered by Christ. That's the gospel. Our weakness covered by Christ. So that is what you are to teach. And when you are weak to teach it, be covered by Christ. And when they are weak to learn it, be covered by Christ. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this call to persevere in parenting, to be faithful in instruction, isn't just a call to just grit your teeth and double down on the law as God watches from a distance both of you hoping uh, that you'll pull through. Read it again. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God is not off in the distance as you walk through discipleship and parenting. He is with you. And it is His grace. In His grace, He never calls you to a task without giving you what you need to accomplish it. And so you being exhausted and overwhelmed and even perhaps fearful, let that drive you into His arms, forcing you to be dependent on Him. It is within your weakness and your dependency that you will find His strength and His power are yours. I'm not making this up. It's right there. Just sharing that with you this morning. So parents, be encouraged. You're doing this, by the way. You're doing this, and I'm proud of you. You're putting effort into faithfully instructing your children, even in your imperfections, pointing to Christ. And even when you feel weak, Jesus has it covered. You be faithful. He'll be perfect. Okay? This week, we're going to venture into some more strategy, some practicals of faithful instruction. But it's important to keep in front of us that which we just reviewed. So while we trust that heart-shaping, attitude-changing, life-transforming power comes from God's Spirit, we are still called to do our part in faithful instruction, rightly teaching them God's law and extending His grace. How we do that then is important. And so uh, typically we, we maybe focus on one passage and we, we pull from that. This week is a little bit more teaching where I'm going to uh, go to a few different passages to help form and direct some of our faithful instruction, what it requires and what it should look like. But before we do that, can we pray again? Ask God to speak to us through His, through his Word today. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we know that You are the perfect Father. That you have given us your perfect word, that your spirit might transform us by it. And in turn, uh, we would be witnesses of your marvelous light to others. Speak to us now. Help us to com- comprehend what it is you are saying to us. Give us strength to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be starting in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3.
2 Timothy chapter 3, this is verse, we're going to start in verse 10, go through 17. This is Paul's second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, um, that we know of at least. And this was his final charge to his young pastoring uh, protege here. Um, look for um, the, the, the theme of discipleship here as we read through this. Verse 10 through 17. You, however, know all about my teaching my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, pay attention to these last three here, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture as God breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So this passage is so rich, and in my opinion, one of the greatest examples and charges of discipleship in all of Scripture. I think the first thing that we need to understand, particularly just from, from the overview and the context of this passage, as, as Paul is writing to Timothy, is that faithful instruction takes time. It takes time. Timothy had spent much time, an incredible amount of time with Paul. They had been through much together, victories and sufferings. Look how he starts that, um, that, that piece there. See, you know, however, about all my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in all of these places, yet the Lord rescued me. Why does he know that? Well, for one, Paul has told him, but also because he was with Paul when a lot of this happened. Timothy has spent time with Paul. Paul had taken him under his wing, training and instructing him in God's Word, in ministry, and in pastoring. It was a big investment. And so while acknowledging on the forefront here that faithful instruction takes time, that kind of seems obvious, it is also daunting. <laughs> and so we need to talk about it. Remember the greatest commandment. We started there. The thing that we are to elevate to priority in our lives, loving God with everything that we are, is what we are then to impress on our children. So if it's the most important thing that we're to do in life, diligently impressing that on our children is going to require that we put ample time behind it. It just is. It's the logical reality. Now, everybody cringes at that priority word, me included, because we all know there's often a gap between what we say our priority is and what our wallet and calendar reveal that it is. If we want to truly disciple our kids to faithfully instruct them, it's going to take time. But what does that time look like? I think three things in this passage that I see, specifically in these last three verses, um, where time is and should be spent. So let's lead, read those three again, starting in 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know from those whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So from those three verses, I see three things there that faithful instruction 
is or what it's going to take. I want to give you all three and then we'll walk through them. Faithful instruction takes time, time in the Word, time with other believers, and time living out your beliefs. Let's take the first one, time in the Word. I need you to play along here with me for a minute, okay? Do you believe that you are called to faithfully instruct your kids? So I'll say that again. I'll ask that again. Do you believe that you are called to faithfully instruct your kids? Do you believe that faithful instruction is training up a child in the ways and the commands of God? Do you believe that this commands the ways and the commands of God? Then this is unavoidable. This is unavoidable. You want a resource to end all resources. This is it. We have to reckon with this. As cliche as it may feel, read your Bible. Gather your family around the truth of God has to be a priority. It has to. I shared this in last service. One of the things that Chris Jankoviak encouraged me with a long time ago, he wasn't even attempting to encourage me, but it came across as an encouragement. He'd spent time every morning reading in Scripture, and, and he would get up in the morning and he's reading, but often he would use his phone, just using his Bible app and reading through, and his kids would come out every day and they would see him early in the morning on his phone. And, one morning, and he's sitting there reading Scripture and, and diving into the Word. And one morning, one of his children came out and said, What's good on Facebook, Dad? He started reading. He started picking up his Bible in the morning. It wasn't that he wasn't reading Scripture. He was. But he wanted his kids to know where it was he was spending his time. Your kids watch you. They see what you do. They will learn from you. They will see your habits. And they will develop them. I'm not knocking reading Scripture from your phone. I do that. But when I'm sitting in my living room, I've chosen to open my Word of God so that my kids can see that when they walk out in the morning. Earlier in the same letter, Paul is writing to Timothy in the first chapter. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Last week, I referenced Ephesians 6, where Paul says, children, speaking to the kids in here, we've got some preteens in here, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So the implication, or at least the expectation here, is that he is speaking directly to kids. Or that children are either reading or they're directly hearing this letter read to them, the Word of God taught to them. That is the expectation here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Faithful instruction requires that you prioritize gathering around the truth of God's Word. Do you have to be a Bible scholar to do this? No. But are you reading it? Are, are, are you reading it to them? Are they reading it? Are you learning what it says and, and sharing it with them as insufficient or incompetent as you feel? Are you reading it and sharing what you know with them? Are you picking a verse to memorize with them? Just be careful. They'll get it much quicker than you. There are so many good resources out there. In the last 10, 15 years, the literature that has come out um, that helps us as we, as we hold up the doctrine of God's Word and the truth of His Word and, and the Gospel has, has been so rich. There's so much out there. Don't be afraid just to start reading a chapter straight out of Scripture to them. Just start reading. Start in the Gospels. Read a chapter a night before bed. You may be surprised at what happens. 
We began this practice in our family a while ago, and a friend of ours did this as well. And it didn't take long as we developed this habit that our girls, uh, and, and theirs as well, were begging for more. And they wouldn't let us miss if we forgot for some reason. They wouldn't let us miss they, to read before bed because they were caught up all of a sudden in the story of Jesus and all that he was doing and all that he was saying and how he was interacting with people. So when you take time in the Word, you are building into your kids a framework that they says, oh, this is just what we do as a family. God's Word is just what we do. That's where we spend time. Faithful instruction takes time in the Word, and it also takes time with other believers. I see this in verse 14. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. So Paul was outside of Timothy's immediate family, and in his prior letter he, to Timothy, he references that the, the elders had ministered to Timothy. They had taught him. They had laid hands on him and prayed for him. Hebrews 10 says, don't neglect the gathering together. Don't give up meeting together. Consider how you may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. All the more encouraging one another as you see the day approaching. So as we approach the day that Jesus comes back, we must be discipling our kids by spending time with other believers. This is imperative. It's what you're doing here this morning. It's what's accomplished in life groups, in summit kids and preteen and youth, and in those rich moments with other families that you are coming to know who are pursuing Christ alongside of you. Do you have your people? Do you have your people? Why? Why do we do this? Why do we need time with other believers? Beside the obvious reason of when we gather, we're being taught the Word of God or being part of Spirit-filled worship, being held accountable, challenged by the word by brothers and sisters in Christ but I need other believers to disciple and parent my kids specifically I you remember I can't do this by myself you can't do this by yourself and so the same spirit that is alive in me that same spirit is alive in others and has gifted others as well and so I need Katie and Jordan to model Christ-likeness for my girls in ways that I can't I need Jared to come over to my house and invest in my girls when he's there simply to work out. No, he's helping disciple my kids. I need Caleb and Jacene to correct my kids while I'm standing there as well. There's something powerful about that, that they're hearing a consistent message across believers. It's oddly therapeutic when that happens as well, by the way. <laughs> There's so much to be said about time together with other believers, being the church together, but we're sticking to the bullet points today. Faithful instruction is time in the Word. You have to spend time with other believers. And it's also time living out your beliefs. Living out your beliefs. Let's talk through that again. Those three verses. Continue in what you have learned. Continue in what you have learned. Keep doing the things you ought to be doing, Timothy. The scriptures not only make you wise for salvation, and then this was our memory verse several weeks back, but it is useful for training in righteousness. This is about deployment. We prioritize time in God's word. We learn about what Jesus says. Now go and practice those things. His way. So how and where can your family participate in the redemptive work of Christ in the world around you? living out what you have learned and come to believe. Your Christian life is not reduced to just gathering on a Sunday morning. 
our most powerful witness and testimony to the world is not that they see us here on Sunday. It's that they see us out in the world being the love of Jesus to those around us, living out what we have come to know and to believe and, to, and that we have learned. Be the church in the world. So how and where, as a family, can you prioritize serving and sharing the gospel? That's the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go. Who fits the orphans and widows category that you can look after in your neighborhood? James chapter 1. Are you serving at Life Plan? Are you, are you participating with Hope Ministries? What are you doing in your own neighborhood to develop relationships with your neighbors and care for those who are, who are elderly so that as your kids come along the way, they see this is just what we do. A key way to think through this, I think, is the difference between telling and teaching when training your kids. Telling is what am I going to say. Teaching is how can I help them understand it. How can I solidify that in them? The goal in living out the gospel is not simply telling them who Jesus is and how he wants us to live, but rather teaching them through real-life experience. And so when it comes to serving and to sharing the gospel and making disciples, what are you doing as a family to practice that which you say you believe? The goal is that when they graduate or when they move on, they can say, I've done that before, not just I remember hearing about that. Involve them and involve yourself in the thing that is bigger than you. We're involved in something, a story that is bigger than us. We must live out our beliefs, solidifying for them that we practice what we preach. So faithful instruction, it takes time. It takes time in the Word. It takes time with other believers. And it takes time living out our beliefs. I want to jump to Hebrews chapter 12 now as we look to our next uh, faithful instruction descriptor. Hebrews chapter 12. For any kiddos in here, this is the one to listen in and pay attention to. Hebrews 12. Chapter, or chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Uh, so some context here. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to, uh, to Christians who had, once, who had converted from Judaism and, and uh, he's encouraging them to hold fast to Christ, that Christ is sufficient. Um, what is good and right and true is in Jesus. In the midst of sin, in the midst of trials and persecutions, hold fast to what is good and right and true, okay? So that he lays out this metaphor for us. So I wanted to put that out there. Uh, chap- uh, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's Hebrews chapter 12. So point number two here, faithful instruction takes time, but faithful instruction requires discipline. It requires discipline. Now, there are different angles. There's a few different angles to discipline, um, and I don't, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here this morning. That's not my goal. But to think about discipline, as parents, we must be disciplining ourselves, sacrificing our time, putting, uh, putting the worthy goal of discipleship in front of our selfish desires and maybe where we want to spend the majority of our time. That's a discipline. And a huge piece of that discipline is that we are to offer consistent correction to our children in order that they might be formed in the right way. And this passage talks about what that right way is. It says the desired outcome of discipline is righteousness and peace. God's holiness for those who are trained in discipline. Again, he lays out that metaphor of a father who disciplines his children. For for what father who loves his children avoids discipline? So then our God, our loving Heavenly Father, proves His love, is what He's saying, through His discipline. And so that might be, so that we might be formed and shaped towards holiness, sanctified, to look like Christ. So while we are secure in our salvation because of what Christ has done on the cross, and we have repented of sin, and we have turned to walk the Jesus road, we are secure in our salvation, and now we are in a process of sanctification. God is making us holy as we go making us more like Christ. We're a holy and also being made holy. It's already not yet. There's a formation that happens, and he likens this to the discipline of a father. So verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. My children are already my children. I'm not disciplining them into becoming my children. They are already my children, and now I discipline them in order to help them understand the right way that God calls us to live. Proverbs 29.15, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Proverbs 23.13 and 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with a rod, they will not die. Punish them with a rod and save them from death. If you are to faithfully instruct your children, it is going to require discipline. Now, most of you are already sitting here going, yeah, we know this. But how we carry it out is always the difficult part, isn't it? My goal this morning, again, is not to tell you exactly what discipline should look like in your family. I will meddle enough to say that raising a child in the training and instruction of the Lord includes restrained, corrective, and yes, loving physical discipline. However, physical discipline isn't always super effective for all kids. And so while the Bible undeniably advocates physical discipline, the Bible is more concerned with the goal of building godly character than it is with the precise method used to produce that goal. But let me also say this this morning. Some of you have had to enact discipline and carry out discipline all by yourself. And you are not receiving any help whether it's because of apathy or a loss or a broken relationship, you've had to carry out discipline without a spouse or with no help from a spouse. And I'm sorry for that. That's not the way it should be. It's exhausting and extremely difficult to hold that all by of yourself. 
But let me encourage you with this. You have a Savior in heaven who is interceding for you, and He will give you what you need when you need it. His grace is a powerful thing. Lean on Him in those moments. So again, instead of digging deep into methods this morning, I want to offer just three quick methods, uh, guidelines for, not methods, but guidelines for discipline. Uh, Much of this, again, came from our family discipleship course that we taught last fall. If you have a chance to jump into that in the future, I would encourage you to do so. But three things this morning, guidelines for discipline. Be clear, be consistent, and be compassionate. Be clear, consistent, and compassionate. Be clear. There are many different points about being clear here, but most essential, be clear on the purpose of discipline. Discipline is not primarily about maintaining authority, nor is it a way to manipulate behavior. Rather, it's what we just talked about. Proper discipline forms and shapes children in and toward the goodness of God, producing a harvest of righteousness and peace for them down the road. It's not about unlocking that cheat code where all of a sudden we finally get that week where they just turn into the perfect children because we've figured it out. You need to keep that clear in your own head, in your own heart. It should remind you personally to seek after the goodness of God so you know, that what, you know what you're aiming for when you administer discipline. Also, if you're parenting with a spouse, are you, this idea of clear, are you on the same page? Have you agreed together on what you are going to do to address wrongdoing? Many times people who are trying to discipline together, who have come together in marriage, have come from different methods of discipline, and that is a problem waiting to happen. That needs to be worked out before you're implementing your strategy. After being clear about what you're doing, be consistent. So be clear, be consistent. Carry through with what you say. Carry through with what you say. Give it time as any discipline whether it's exercise or habit forming or behavior correction, it's going to take time to work, okay? Be consistent. And part of consistency is not making empty threats of punishment. Kids see through that a mile away. Carry out what you have said you will do. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be times when you promise a consequence out of frustration that you wish that you hadn't. Anybody else done that? Happened this week? Okay. You should seek God's wisdom for those moments. And if the inconsistency of taking it back will burn you in the long run, then live and learn. Or, if it becomes an opportunity to go back, repent, and then use that to point your child to Jesus... In that way, do it. And I will argue that that's consistency too. Okay? So be clear, be consistent, and lastly, be compassionate. Psalm 103, 8 and 9. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Compassion does not mean... Uh, Let me share this with you. Our Summit Kids Assistant Director, Ellen Moore, she said it in this way. Compassion does not mean sweeping offenses under the rug or that there are no consequences to sin, but compassion is seeing past our children's sin in the moment or our own embarrassment, looking past that and looking at our children as God sees us. That's hard to do. But again, that idea here is one, it's one of redemption. It is restoration. This is gospel parenting, remember? 
God in his justice and his mercy, mercy carries out wrath against sin in order that we might be brought back to him. Relationship restored. That's the end goal here. Psalm 103 indicates there is anger against wrongdoing. There is a time to rightly point out sin and deal with it. But the end goal is always redemption and restoration. You're training your children, but you're wanting to to call them to yourself. It may seem like those are opposite things, but they're not. So two quick ways to practice compassion. One is to slow down. Slow down before administering consequences. We touched on this already, but slowing down allows you to see your child and not just be clouded by the sin that's right in front of your face. Slow down. See your child, not just their sin. The second would be to restore quickly. So after an incident or a battle or disobedience or an attitude, you name it, whatever it is, it should be your goal and discipline to restore that relationship quickly. So I'm not talking about being a pushover, but, but post-consequence is the time for them to see you making the first move towards them. Now, don't distance yourself in, in consequences anyways in discipline. But after administering, they may feel that way, but when you administer a consequence, they should see you making the first move towards them to restore the tension that is there. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He made the first move. Repair the tension between you. Don't continue to make them pay with your demeanor towards them. That challenges me. It just adds to the frustration. It doesn't help you and it doesn't help them. Continuing that frustration after the consequence towards them, all that does is translate to them that you're disappointed in who they are, not what they've done. I read this last week, Ephesians 6, 4. Don't, fathers, don't exasperate your children. There's not a better word for that, to irritate, exasperate, or frustrate intensely. That's not redemptive. It's not restorative. It doesn't reflect the gospel. But be compassionate and restore quickly. Faithful instruction, it takes time. It requires discipline. And then we return to our core passage from last week to kind of close up our our piece here, discover our last formative principle. It's in Deuteronomy 6. It's what we read last week, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, the first and greatest commandment, Jesus said. And now impress them on your children. Then here's how. Talk about them. When you sit at home and when you walk walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So the greatest commandment is then followed with instructions for parents that really, I read that and I go, I can do that. I can get a hold of that. There's so many self-help books out there and there's strategies and those things can be helpful from time to time. But right here, talk about it. Talk about it when you sit at home. Talk about the commands of God. Talk about the gospel. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. These are are ordinary moments. Faithful instruction invests in ordinary moments. When you sit at home is an ordinary moment. When you walk or drive, it's an ordinary moment. When you go to bed, when you get up, that's an ordinary moment. He goes on to talk about symbols on your hands and ordinary everyday things like doors on your houses. So what we're talking about here are these, sometimes they can be pre-planned, but these are unplanned, happening, on-the-fly experiences that the Lord has gifted you. Every conversation that you have with your child, every interaction, whether it's good or it's bad, those are unpromised moments to you that are impossible then to get back once they go by. 
And so how can we take those moments, those ordinary moments, and invest in them to train up our children in the ways of the Lord, being ready to teach them when the opportunity presents itself? We need to leverage moments for the gospel. Investing in ordinary moments, it takes readiness and it takes willingness because this type of faithful instruction is appropriate everywhere and in every circumstance. So when your kids are thrilled and when they're excited and when they're frustrated and upset, when they're beaming with pride and when they're sad and confused, when they're holding the new baby and when they're at grandpa's funeral, investing in ordinary moments like that is appropriate everywhere and in every circumstance because it helps your children see that the one constant is not their circumstances, but it's the God who is good through all situations. Invest in ordinary moments. I think about this in a few different ways. One, revealing the characteristics of God and then teaching them godly characteristics. Okay, you can take ordinary moments like this, the characteristics of God. Help your kids to know God, who He is, what He's done, what He's doing, what He's like. God is wise, He is generous, He is loving, He is good, He is unchanging, He is creative, He's just, He's faithful, He is a provider, He's merciful, He's almighty, He's compassionate, He's worthy, He's a rescuer. Those are characteristics of God. And as you walk along the road and as you sit at home, how might the Holy Spirit give you an opportunity in ordinary moments that you can point out a characteristic of God that is reflected in the situation that you are in in that moment? Is it, is it simply looking at a sunrise or getting up early and taking your child out to the beach to sit on the, on the sand and watch the sun come up and be marveled, marveling at the Creator God that we serve? An example of this is working with one of my daughters on math. She's a perfectionist in everything. And so when she writes something down or doesn't hit, when she, when she writes something down that's wrong or she doesn't hit the bullseye every time, when she figures that out, when she figures out she didn't get it right, it just crushes her. Even if she already knows the right answer now, the fact that it wasn't perfect the first time literally brings her to tears. She's overwhelmed and then she's useless to do anything in that moment. And so I've been trying to remind her in those moments, only God is perfect, so I don't expect her to be. And she shouldn't either. Moreover, our struggles and our imperfections, even the fact that we don't get math right the first time, it's why Jesus came. He gives us the power to learn and to recognize when we've done wrong, to submit that to Jesus, and he can then help, make it, help us make it right. So this process of erasing the wrong answer, knowing the right one, and rewriting it is actually a beautiful thing. You may think that's a stretch, but that points to the gospel. So what about godly character? The purpose here is to help your kids grow in godliness. Who am I? Who has God called me to be? What does he ask of me? in light of who he is. How can I become more like him? So as a faithful instructor, you're not just a disciplinarian who addresses the missteps, but also an encourager who fans into flame the godly characteristics the Lord desires in each of us. Again, that may seem like parenting 101, but I think a helpful way to think about this is to point out and encourage your children when they display a fruit of the Spirit. It's too easy to let those things, the, the, the good things that we see your, your, your child doing, become, well, of course you're supposed to do that. And only address the things or speak up about the things that fall outside of God's law. 
Okay? You can invest in ordinary moments here by affirming the work of the Spirit in our kids' lives. So where and how are you seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your children? And when you see it in an ordinary moment, look them in the eye and call it out. Again, you can do that with anybody, by the way. That's discipleship. A little side bit here, but I think this is important. We do this not just because it affirms the work of God in, our li- in their lives and it reinforces correct behavior. But when you do this, when you come to your child and say, I see this in you, I saw you do this, I'm proud of you, this is a good thing, keep going. It creates a, a, a pathway, a, a connection in your kid's brain that says, Daddy connects with me when things aren't good, but also when they are. Lastly, and this covers, I think, everything. This is my, maybe my paraphrase of these verses in Deuteronomy. You invest in ordinary moments, and I already alluded to this, by talking, singing, and reading about the gospel. Talk about it, sing about it, read about it. Don't tire about talking about the good news. Do not tire of playing music that emphasizes what Christ has done. Do not tire of reading books that picture forgiveness and redemption. We finished last week with the acknowledgement that no good and holy change comes in the life of a child without the power of the gospel. So you do everything that you can to keep that in front of them. The big story of God's redemption, the fall of man, God's perfect in his creation, the fall of man, the work of Christ on the cross, and now our restoration and our redemption through that process. You keep that in front of them. Everything revolves around it. You keep that in front of their heads, God will move it to their heart. I'm going to invite the worship team to come join me as we close our time today. I know that was a lot. I tried to speak quickly. Faithful instruction takes time. It just does. Faithful instruction requires discipline. And it purposefully invests in ordinary moments of every day. And again, I know I was speaking to those who are maybe parenting in these moments. But parenting is, is pretty broad. We're talking at a deeper level about discipleship here. Discipleship takes time. Who are you investing in? It requires discipline. It requires investing in ordinary moments, trusting in God's Spirit. It takes time. My, my family and I have been here for uh, nine years. My wife came here, my wife and I came here in uh, the fall of 2013. And our first daughter was born a month after we arrived here in October 2013. So she is nine years old. And when Kelly was born and when your child was born, God gifted you with 936 weeks before they finish out the year of 18, which is typically the time when the leaving begins to happen, that moving out or gets close to that, right? 936 weeks is what you are gifted. So this, this jar has 936 marbles in it. 18 years, 52 weeks a year. So we came here in 2013. Kelly is nine years old. She's about to be 10. 
halfway there. We're halfway there. When your child turns 16 and they get their license, 104 measly weeks left. So this is a, a gripping reminder, but I, I don't want you to be discouraged today. While we need to look at this and be reminded of the time that we have left with our kids, I also want you to see that we can look at this with a different perspective. Okay? I'm, not sim- my, I'm not simply just pouring out and my, my, children, my, my child is being emptied. My jar, my Kelly, she's half full right now. She's half full and I have, I have 468 weeks left that I can invest in my child week after week. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 